0: Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us. If it's your first time, one of your first times here, really grateful that you came. I know sometimes it's hard to step into a new place. And if you're joining us online, also, thanks for joining us. 1977, Earl Campbell was uh, awarded the winner of the Heisman Trophy, the best football player in college football. And he got up, and he said, I want to give thanks to my mom. When I was a kid, I was in all kinds of trouble, and she was there. And all of a sudden, the camera goes off Earl Campbell, and they're looking for Mrs. Campbell somewhere in the crowd. All of a sudden, the focus is off him onto her. Well, I want to suggest to you that when a life lived full in the grace and mercy and understanding of God, it, it's lived a lot like that. I want to get the focus off me onto someone you're not seeing, Jesus. I want us to think more, what, what does that look like, moving that focus to Jesus? So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-12, through 12, we'll go through this passage and wrestle with the question, how should we respond to God's grace and mercy? Now, as you turn there, we're in the uh, third part of a three-part series, focusing on our mission. You, if you come in, you hear it every time we pray, being Christ in our community. Uh, two weeks ago, I looked at Jesus interacting with a, at the home of a Pharisee, and a sinful woman comes, and there's a difference in values. Says I me, mean, the Pharisee wants to send her away. Jesus embraces her, and I put out there that Christ is the one that when we say being Christ in our community, that's what we're talking about. There's one restorer, there's one redeemer, and his name is Jesus. And we think above all, making him known matters. So I've asked you to consider giving yourself to this with your two most important resources, your money, talked about that last week, and your time. As I said last week with giving, nobody's going to call you. There's not going to be a card. There's not going to be, hey, where? This is between you and the Lord. And we'll talk about now investing yourself, your time, maybe our most precious resource, invested in this mission and ultimately invested in people. And I want to talk about Paul, how he did that. Before I want to do that, I want to talk about the motivation of why. So if you were with us last week, uh, it's one of my favorite Sundays. There were uh, four baptisms, four testimonies. Okay? I want to show you Paul's testimony before we get into how we serve the Lord. I want you to hear his testimony in 1 Timothy. Here's what he says. This is Paul writing to Timothy, kind of his protege. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he has considered me faithful, putting me in his service. Now here's Paul's background remember, before Christ, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, that's who I was with the cause of Jesus. I was an aggressor, violent, imprisoning imprisoning, and executing Christians. And in fact, when Paul met Jesus, he was on the Damascus Road. He had gone to serve papers on some other folks, and he meets Jesus. Whoa, Jesus, I've been fighting against you. Yeah, you would think, zzzz you're done. But that's not what he got. He got grace and mercy. This is Paul's testimony. This is why he's doing what he's doing. Here's what he says, yet, even though I was a violent persecutor, I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Paul knows, man, I'm a a sinner, as bad as I get. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's what we want to honor him. That's what we're talking about. Christ in our community, that we're, that's what we're saying. That's our way of saying we honor Jesus. That's Paul's testimony. I was an aggressor. I was violently against this Jesus thing. I was going to serve papers, and I met Jesus, and I thought I, I was wrong. I backed the wrong course, and instead of annihilating me, he put me into service. So Paul's in Jesus' debt. So that's his background. So let's turn to 1 Timothy 2, verse 1, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. He says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. For is a connecting word to what went on in chapter 1. And in there, Paul talks about the Thessalonians' faith. They too were persecuted. And they held true to the word of God. He said, you tell to it as was the word of God. And in your faith, he said, has gone forward. to to regions like Macedonia and Achaia. They've heard about you. So my coming was not in vain, but neither was it easy. Verse 2, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. We won't turn there, but in Acts 16, Paul goes to Philippi. Uh, People begin to respond and, and people get upset. And he gets arrested and he gets beaten with rods. And he gets thrown in jail, in the innermost part of the jail. And there's he and Silas, and about midnight, God throws the stocks off, throws the doors open, and the Philippian jailer knows, I'm done. Prisoner get out of my watch, he's gonna fall on a sword, and Paul goes, whoa, 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 whoa. And he leads the guy to faith. Well, this is kind of news for the Roman officials, and so they pull, pull Paul forward. And Paul says, Hey, you know, I, I'm a Roman citizen. And I deserved a trial before I was beaten. It's like, now they're in trouble. Can we just get you out of town? So then he goes to Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 17. And and he eventually gets run out of town there too. So Paul is, he's preaching amidst much opposition. Now this is a contrast. In Paul's day, um, itinerant speakers were were kind of rock stars. They were kind of entertainment. If you were good, you'd get a lot of money, get a lot of fame. And you'd hear, this guy's coming to town. Paul says, I, I'm, I'm not looking for that. I'm not looking to get. I'm looking to give life. Why is that? Verses 3 and 4. It says, for our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by the way of deceit. Why? But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. Paul says, I'm not ultimately speaking to please you to tickle your ears, to make you feel good. Uh, Why? Because I don't need your approval. I've been approved by God. So I'm going to speak truth to you. Well, that's in contrast to the speakers of that day. They told people what they wanted to hear. Why? Because they needed their affirmation. Ultimately, they needed their money. Paul said, I'm not, my my approval, my, my, my life comes from Jesus. So, so you know, I'm going to ask you to consider serving at the end of this message. Okay, um, but I don't want you to do it unless God's approved you. Like last week, we talked about giving. Don't do it unless God's and there's not going to be a call. There's not going to be a fall. Same deal. Paul said, "I've been approved. I've been called by God." I'm asking, would God be calling you to serve in one way or another? Paul's doing what he did. A much, much opposition because he's been approved by God. Uh, there's a further declaration of his integrity. Verses 5 and 6 says, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. There's a lot of connection there between flattery. I tell you what you want to hear, so you'll write me a bigger check. Paul said, I didn't do that. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men. That's Speakers wanted money and they wanted affirmation. Either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. And he's speaking authority to, to call for money. You go back in the Old Testament, God set up the the Levites to be priests. Well, how did they live? They lived off the offerings of His people. God provided from His people for for His servants. Paul said, there's there's precedent for that, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to assert that authority because, as we will see, he doesn't want to cast any doubt on the gospel. He doesn't want any question about motives. So Paul says, I'm not like those other guys. Well, and how are you, Paul? Well, we see verse 7 and 8. It says, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Many of you in here are mothers. You know what this is like. What will you do for your kid? So our, our younger son, our older son was just a, I don't know, he's a month old, six weeks old. We were down, in, he was born down there in Chile. I, I stayed home and Hope took him out, Chris, out in a stroller. She came back and said, Andy, you know, a bigger dog came towards us. Well, normally you, you step back, right? Bigger dog, you step back. But she had her kid in a stroller, so she stepped forward. And, and the owner was there. It wasn't a bad situation. But instinct took over. You're going to have to go through me to get to my kid. That, that's, that's how Paul feels. He he's, cares for them. He's concern for them he'd give his life for them uh, more over verse 8 says having so fond an affection for you we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of god but also our own lives why because you'd become very dear to us so paul said i just didn't give you information i didn't give you biblical truth i gave you my life Here's the deal, though. When, when I give you my life and I give you inside scoop and I tell you about weakness, I, I give up control, don't I? You, you got info on me. And, and most of the itinerant speakers, well, they didn't do that. They just kept them, their, their audience at a distance so they could be put up on a pedestal. Paul said, no, I'm, I'm weak and vulnerable. And I worked in a campus ministry for 15 years, Campus Crusade, and I, I remember hearing a speaker say this. He said, relationships are the plasma of discipleship. Discipleship is the process by which we grow. Relationship is the way we communicate that. I'll receive your truth as I get to know you. I had a seminary colleague. He was from the country of Chad. He had come to faith through the missionary movement. He was there studying. And he said this, how can I know your God until I know you? That's Paul. I'm just not going to dump the goods and give you some information. I'm going to give you my life. There's a certain vulnerability about that, isn't there? Well, Paul said that the gospel goes forward in that. Paul had a maternal instinct for these people. But we're going to find out in the next verses he also had a paternal instinct. For that, though, verse 9, says, For you, recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working day and night, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So I took a second job. I worked a second job so I wouldn't have to ask you for money. Why? Because I didn't want to cast any doubt, any question about motives. Because the motive is wanting you to come to know Jesus. Verse 10, Your witnesses, so as God, how devoutly I, and uprightly and blamelessly. Isn't that a little bit of overkill? Probably, but Paul wants to make sure that, that there was no manipulation, there was no false pretenses, there was no bad motives in this. How devoutly, uprightly, and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting, and encouraging, imploring each of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom. In glory. Paul had a paternal instinct. He cared for them not only as a mother, but also as a father. Most of you know, if you don't know, we have two sons. 22, 25, almost 25. Um, I'm one of these people that journals my prayers. Um, If you were to look at my journal, you would see my two sons' name almost every day. And I don't think I stand out as a parent that much, really. But I just care. And I realize some of you may come from parents that were not there, but most parents, they do, they care. We have a small group we meet with, and one is multiplied out, and it's parents, of all children. What do we talk about? We talk about our kids, and we pray for our kids. That's Paul. These guys weren't an object. These were kids, people he loved. I remember we were, again, down in Chile. Our oldest son was six months old. And, okay, those of you who raised kids, what do you want your kids to do? What, do you, what are you aiming for early on? What are you hoping they'll do as far as sleep? What do you want? You want to sleep to the night, don't you? So it's, we're six weeks in or so, and we, we wake up, and it's like, it's 545. And it's kind of like, oh, my God, what happened? So we throw the bed cover, and we run, 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 run to the crib. And, and what's our son doing? he's sleeping away. We're freaking out, and he's doing exactly what we wanted him to do. But as a parent, it was the first time, and it's like, whoa, what happened? Could something have happened? We just want to be sure. And bless that young man's heart, he moved out at about 21, and I think he had two bad nights after those. I mean, he was a great sleeper. I hear these people talk about these colicky kids, and I go home and hug our sons. But that's Paul. He cares about these people. And I think he presents a model. How do we respond to God's grace and mercy? Here's what I'd say we should respond to God's grace and mercy by sharing our life and the gospel with others. We just don't, we give the gospel, absolutely, but we give our life because they go together. It's a life experience. We're doing it because we've met Jesus and we've been redeemed and we've been bought back. And so I'm asking, would you consider serving with us? Would you wrestle with it before God? Like what? Well, we have a whole team of people that tries to help people who have a hard time coming in the church doors feel more at ease. We have greeters. We have people who serve coffee. We have a safety team to help people overcome that hurdle. Well, why is it such a big deal? Let me see if I can explain this way. Oh, two and a half years ago, we got back from our family vacation. I got on the scale and I thought, hmm, this is not good. This is going the wrong way. I was 60 years old at the time. My dad had a stroke at 70. So those numbers kind of get with you. And I thought, I need to do something. And my wife had been talking to me about doing these exercise classes, high intensity interval training classes. And I was scared. I know I needed to do it, but I was afraid. So, I would go to the Y, and the weight room was downstairs, but before I'd go, I'd I'd peek into one of those classes. What are they doing in there? What are they doing? I'm trying to screw up the courage to walk into class. But I got tremendous fear. I thought, uh, what if this thing's highly choreographed? I'm in real trouble. Am I going to be, oh, here's Grandpa. Look, I'm going to be in with all these people that are going to wear me out. So, finally, on a Saturday, I thought, I'm going and I walk in and it's a substitute teacher and her name is Jenny. And Jenny is my exercise hero. Because I say, Jenny, this is my first time. I've never done this. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to do 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off. And, and, and I'll call out the exercise and I'll give you modified if you want and, and do what you can. And, and, and I go to two of Jenny's classes a week because she helped me cross that barrier. Do you understand when you greet... You help people cross that barrier. When you catch them at coffee and you say, tell me your name, you start breaking that thing down. You help people cross a barrier that we don't think is hard, but it is. About a year and a half later, that Y was closed, and so I did classes at another Y. And um, in this class, they got bags out, you know, punching bags And so there's a board up there, and it says 10 times, 10 sets, J-J-C-U. What does J-J-C-U mean? So I say to the instructor, what does J-J-C-U mean? Oh, that means jab, jab, cross, uppercut. Oh, yeah, sure. But how did I feel when I had to ask that question? Like, I don't belong. So when you come in and you can help somebody say, Hey, are you, are you checking into your bathroom? Let, let me walk you to the bathroom. Let me show you where children. You don't understand. That helps break barriers. Would you help us that way in helping people cross what they know they need in their lives? But it's hard to come in. And then we're investing in, in, in uh, people at all ages. So we have a dynamic kids ministry. Lindsay's in charge of it. And we'd love to help you find a place to surf, to plug in. You begin to build into somebody's life that they're loved and they're valued. Then we go through student ministry. And we break that down, middle school and high school, and the impact you can have there. So when I was in seminary, two and a half years, I taught a middle school boys Sunday school class. Talk about something to keep you grounded when you're learning Greek and Hebrew. There I was. And there was about 12 to 15 kids, and we sat in a circle And the two chairs next to Andy, they were empty. You know what they were? They were buddy chairs. If you were screwing around and you get caught a second time, you get to be Andy's buddy, and you sit in the chair next to Andy. Now, what I did, I would now be sued for. (laughs) Nate, our student pastor, would never allow me to do it. But if you sit in the buddy chair and you screw around again, do you know what you get? You get the pit. I'd stick their head under my armpit. (laughs) And these guys would go, Oh, he got the pet. Andy, you need to give my brother the pet. These guys are in their 40s now. And I will still connect with them on Facebook, and you know, they will say, I remember the pet. Now, we would never do that. Nate would never allow that. But two and a half years, it's my last Sunday. I'm going to graduate, we're going to go overseas. I'm done. And these guys were saying, man, Andy, it was great. You don't know how much... And I said, you guys will never remember what I taught you. And, and Stephen, the kid who ended up in the buddy chair all the time, said this, and I'll never forget it. He said, you're right, Andy, we won't remember what you taught us, but we will remember you. You have a chance to impact somebody's life. Would you consider doing that? Sundays. We have first Sunday lunch. Um... Mandy looking for people to help out. We have a safety team that operates behind the scenes just to make sure things go well. There's a myriad of places you could serve. Would you consider investing? Why? So people could come to know the Savior. That we could move this idea that Christ in our community, starting here and moving out these walls, will happen. I think if you consider that, you never know how God might use that. So I was in my junior year of college in chemical engineering. I've got my chemical engineering friends in sight here. I was not doing well. For the first time, I was over my head. I was swamped. Physical chemistry, you remember that, Josh? Fluid mechanics? And we brought in a speaker, Campus Crusade did, and we're looking for students to help serve. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night. The next week, I would have five tests. And I thought, I don't know if I can afford that time. But I prayed about it, and I signed up for Wednesday and Thursday. And here's what I did. People would fill out a card. They'd fill out an envelope. And I was the guy. This is before self-adhesive stamps and envelopes. There was a sponge with some water. We'd put the letter in, and I'd wet the envelope and seal it. And then I'd wet the stamp and put it on, and that's what I did for two hours. And I was outstanding at the envelopes, I want to tell you. (laughs) But you know what? I made friends serving. I sat there, there'd be a bachelor, we'd come, we'd do our thing, and then we'd wait a little bit and we'd talk, well, what are you majoring, what do you study, what do you, I spent 15 years working with Campus Crusade as a staff member. I I think part of it started right there. I started connecting with people I really loved. There are people that serve together in this church that love each other. Serve, please, because God has called you, but I want to say, I think God wants to use that to build connection, to build relationship, would you go before the Lord and wrestle with it? And these are the QR codes. You'll see them on your seat. If you don't have a phone, you can go to our website, www.northpointlincoln.org, and hit the serve tab, give tab, whatever, and you can find out places to serve or how to give. We ask you to consider this, that you might be a part. Get with us and in pushing this idea, moving the name and reputation for, of Jesus forward for his honor and for his glory. Jesus was one that gave himself to people. When he went into Jerusalem, he wept over the city, knowing that they would reject him and would face annihilation 30, 40 years later. Yet he went in and died, no he'd be crucified, to purchase your salvation and mine. Would we follow Jesus in giving ourselves to people in that way. When I was a kid, our parents used to take us, as one of three boys, to, to high school productions of plays. We'd see Sound of Music, Oklahoma, Music Man, it doesn't matter. But here's, here's what I remember about all those plays. At the end, we're finished, then there'd be a curtain call and all the people would come out. And, and the people with the lesser roles would come out first and they'd take a bow and then they'd step back. And then finally you'd get to the, two, the one or two people that were the lead and they'd take a bow and then, I mean the audience is going. And then they'd all step back and they'd form a line and they'd point somewhere out there or out there. And they're pointing to someone we haven't seen on stage the whole night. Who are they pointing to? The director. Well, who's the director? We haven't seen the director. Oh, with the direct, without the director, this hummer wouldn't have happened. They're all in their debt to the director. Do you understand that's a picture of us as a body? We're stepping back, pointing to someone who's not seen, trying to say because of this one, this Jesus, we are who we are individually, and corporately. That's the one we want to move forward. That's our response to the grace and mercy of God that we might share our lives and the gospel with others. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for this Jesus who gave us life that we might live Lord, and the Apostle Paul reminds us that no one is beyond your grace. A violent oppressor, a violent aggressor of you was redeemed and made fit for service. Lord, if you can use Paul, what can you do in our lives? What do we take hold and consider how you would want us to be involved in making Christ known in our community? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.